Well, Evan, come on up. We, we have uh, a real treat for all of you guys. Before I, I introduce you, I just want to say a quick welcome to an old friend and alumni of ours. Lauren Tires was Tires. Your new married name? Shepherd. Lauren Shepherd in the house. Yeah. Uh, Lauren is an alumni. She's a pastor in Ontario in Burlington, right? Burlington, yeah, at Glad Tidings Church. And so we love to see our pastors come and visit. We love to see our alumni and pastors come to visit. Evan Fletcher is pastor, pastoring in Kimberley in the Kootenays here in BC. Uh, he is an alumni here as well, graduated in 08. You're going to get to share your story. We're thankful you're here. We love you, man. God bless you. Well, good morning. And thanks for having me, actually. Like, this is a huge honor to be here today. And it's an honor because God has really been putting you guys on my heart in the last while. And so a little bit about me and my family before we get into the message is uh, we, we have, as my family, my wife and my two kids, uh, we traveled to Kimberley in 2018. And we started uh, working at a church there that needs revitalization so badly. And uh, we're discovering that God has an amazing ministry in store for that community because it's a growing community. It was voted BC's best small town uh, this year, which I think fits it perfectly. There's nowhere else I've ever lived that I could walk down the street almost any time of the year and go, I get to live here. Like, I get to live here? Are you kidding me? And so it's nestled in the Rockies, and there's everything to do outdoors there. There's skiing. There's a ski hill in town. There's mountain biking. There's every rock climbing surface you want to go on. There's hiking up the Rockies. There's all these different things to do. And so families are flocking to our little community, and it's growing so much that I told Gavo and Kim that, that years ago, in the recent history, when we moved to town, people said, if you would have seen three years ago somebody walking down the street with a baby, everybody would stop and look because it was such a sight that wasn't seen. But now this community is just bursting with young families and young life. And with that comes my heart for the community. The heart that there is a whole community that's outside that doesn't know Jesus. There is this community of wonderful people, people who care about other people, people who care about circumstances and want to be there for each other, but they do not know Jesus. And it's probably much like your circumstance here in Abbotsford in every city. There is a hard place in every city. In our little community, it's a place where there's so many different streams of spirituality that is mixed together that people don't understand what's, what's up from down. And so trying to break the bedrock and find the code to break into this community, I discovered one thing. I've been doing it wrong my whole life. I have not been listening to the Bible. The Bible told me to go and to minister. And I thought I was supposed to invite, invite them to church, put up a welcome sign. I thought I was supposed to paint the building. I thought I was supposed to offer a kid's VBS for people to flock to. Jesus called us to go. And so if there's one thing that I've learned in my short time in Kimberly already, that you have to go and minister in order to invite. And that's something that's been dear and on my heart for a long time. And this summer, we actually started a community preteen group. And a community one, I mean, like, we don't have any preteens in our church. So we started a community preteen group. And do you know what? We saw over 1% of our population come out in the summer to these preteen gatherings. 
In a small town, that is a big thing. And out of that has grown a preteen group that meets every week. And in the summertime, we, we do crafts at the local market. We just try and be where the people are. And we just get out there. And this year, we were able to have 560 kids come through and their families, and most of them every week. We are meeting people who we never would meet before if we didn't go. And so part of my heart this morning is that we would learn something together about what the first church experienced as they were going. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about a tough situation in your life, something where standing for the name of Jesus is difficult. I want you to think about a relationship where it's hard, like rock, to try and get the word of God and the gospel to go in. And I want you to just imagine for a second how nice it would be to have an easy button. I don't know if you know, but Staples used to have these easy buttons and they had these commercials where it would show like this kid in a math class and the teacher asked him this terribly hard question and the kid's like, ah, reaches under the desk, hits the easy button. Then there's like this this, uh, cowboy trying to break in a stallion and it's sitting there in a pen going all over the place and he reaches inside his saddlebag, hits the easy button. And then there's this dad, and this part I can relate with. He's, he's got twins, and their legs are both up in the air as babies, and he's got to tackle the diaper change. And he just reaches over and hits that easy button. Do you ever wish that your faith in Jesus had an easy button for those hard bedrock areas? I do. I wish that I could just reach into my Bible and just hit an easy button when somebody has a problem with God. I wish it was that easy. In our country, we don't, we don't really feel on an uh, outward, real hard pressure what it is to have persecution, but we do have persecution. It's just subtle. It's culture. There is persecution against speaking the name of Jesus. And I've come up against that when I offered this program to the community, which I fully expected. I had emails. What do you think on this? What are you doing about that? What are you... I knew it would happen, and that's okay. The persecution that you and I might experience here in Canada doesn't compare to other places necessarily where it's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ that they would stand for the name of Jesus and they would be pushed out of their jobs. They would be pushed out of their families. But there is persecution and there is pushback against the name of Jesus. To live a life of obedience to God is not easy. And I know that some of you in this room might live in families where you know that to be true. You might have friends and and relationships, workplaces, where you understand that. The easy button would be really helpful. But I'm going to break it to you, and then we're going to get into Acts. There is no easy button. Sorry. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4 today, and uh, we're going to look at Peter and John. As they were following Jesus, they began to experience extreme persecution, and they were actually hauled into jail a couple times. Now, chapter 4 follows right after chapter 3, and in chapter 3, Peter showed powerfully the authority in the name of Jesus to heal a crippled man who was outside the temple gates. And when he 
pronounced that healing over that crippled man, all of a sudden, the crowd was confused. They said, well, is this you, Peter and John? Is this you? Like, should we be, you know, following you and all this stuff? And Peter just clarified it. He said, look, this wasn't us. We didn't do it. This was done by the name of Jesus. And there is power and authority in that name. And in chapters three and four specifically, we find that the name of Jesus comes up over and over again. And he's telling them this. We see the people who are going to be coming into the picture today. We're going to be looking at the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin that is coming into the picture in chapter four and coming against them. And right here is where we need to know that this is the same Sanhedrin that maybe just a few weeks ago sentenced Jesus to die. Months, weeks, recently, they sent Jesus to die. You see, the Pharisees wouldn't have had a problem with what the apostles were necessarily saying about Jesus because they were saying that Jesus was the resurrection. But the Sadducees, who were in the Sanhedrin, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so when the apostles stood on the authority that Jesus was the resurrected Lord, the Sanhedrin had a huge problem. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And they didn't believe that Jesus was the authority that they were calling out. Let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That was, that was the issue. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And I kind of wish that uh, they didn't just record men. I wish we could have known the full number that came to believe in the message of Jesus. Luke just says it went from 3,000 and then it went to about 5,000. But who knows how many more? There was a whole lot more, women and children. It didn't matter to the crowd that was hearing that message from Peter and John. It didn't matter to them that they were being thrown in jail for the night. That didn't scare them. What, what had their heart was that there was an authority and a power that was being displayed through Peter and John that wasn't like the power and authority of man. And they were thrown in jail not because they were preaching something of themselves, but because they were preaching in the name of Jesus, giving him all the glory. And they were saying that it was by his power, his authority, that something awesome and impossible by man was happening. Somebody was healed. A crippled man began to walk and jump and shout, and he was running through the temple probably for the first time, getting to enjoy what it is to move. Now, verse 5. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. They asked him this this question, by what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name? Now, this is a familiar question because they even asked Jesus the same question. When he was casting out demons, by what power or what name are you doing this? Is it by Beelzebub? Is it by Satan that you cast out Satan? So this is no unknown territory. This is exactly the same way they treated Jesus as now they're treating the apostles. And I wonder if you remember that Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. 
the exact same questions. So when Peter and John walked over and pronounced that the lame man was healed, the religious authorities wanted to know by whose name they could say this. And Peter's just pretty bold. He's saying it's by the name of Jesus, not by me, not by myself, by the name of Jesus. And nobody else healed this man or made him whole, but Jesus did. Peter and John told them, it's Jesus. It's the same Jesus that you helped nail to the cross. Like, to say that to an authority figure in public, ouch. There would have been some upset. You've, you've hurt me. You've made me look bad in front of everyone else. I want you to see this truth. That it was only because these two men were proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ that they were experiencing this hardship. And we will, too. They were put in jail because they were proclaiming Jesus as the only way to wholeness and salvation and healing. That was the message they had, that Jesus was the Savior. And how much harder is it today in a post-Christian world, in a Christian society, in a Christian community like Abbotsford used to be, it might have been very easy to walk around and wear the name of Jesus. But how much harder is it today to wear the name of Jesus. What reception do people around you give to the name of Jesus within a culture that has almost forgotten God, within a culture that doesn't even know what the Bible is? It is great that Christians still have religious freedoms in Canada, but who really knows what the future will bring? We're living in a post-Christian culture. They're done with hearing the truth about Jesus. That's what they say. They have many reasons, but it's also for a lack of truth being shown to them. The distinguishing mark of the early church, that's what I want to just look at here for a moment with you. It's what, what is really interesting to me with this early church as I look at the book of Acts. It's an amazing story of how God is moving. He's doing something. His spirit is breaking out. He's sending them on mission. He's giving them the plan. And what's interesting is that this early church didn't have a big budget. They didn't have a big building. They didn't have a big youth group. They didn't even have scholarly teaching. They didn't have seminary professors teaching. In fact, I don't think that these disciples or apostles would probably even be candidates to get hired on at a church today. Their credentials don't match up. They're not qualified. I don't think they could probably even put a Christmas program together to save their life. I don't know if we could let them even become a member of our church today. But our passage goes on. It says, and here's the council demanding to know again and again and again, by what power or what name did you do this miracle? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, 
which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this word saved, of course, salvation means to be made whole in every aspect, to be made right with God. If you want to be saved and whole and made right in every area, then you have to be truly saved. Peter's saying, look, if you really want to know the answer to the question you're asking, you're not going to like it. It's not going to make you feel good if you're a religious authority. You cannot be saved by your righteousness. You can't be saved by your religious affiliations, your friendships, your family members. You can't be saved by the Facebook posts that you post. You can't be saved by those things. It's by Jesus' glory, authority, and power that you can be saved. And what our world needs, and this is a pretty important point, what our world needs is people who are kind of fired up like Peter. When he said to the Sadducees, those words, I just think, wow, the Holy Spirit is pouring out of this guy right now. He is bold. And the response of these Religious leaders is awesome in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Now, I have been around hundreds of pastors and leaders and most of them had more titles than I can even remember. Most of them have been to seminary and have done their doctorates and done theses, and I don't even know how to write a paragraph. But you want to know what I think counts for a Christian as a mark of success is that you have been with Jesus. Not last week, not last year, not 10 years ago. You have been with Jesus today. That is the mark. That is the thing that's going to set you apart. And that is the thing that is going to set this Bible college apart. Not how many titles we have. Not how many plaques are on the wall. It will be because we have been with Jesus. And that the power of his spirit is at work through ordinary men and women who follow and proclaim that name. Every person, every degree of intelligence, every person, no matter what, proclaiming the name of Jesus and walking in the Spirit. He wants to be at work through you today. Our culture of where we are will not take note of you or the church for long if you're just going on your own charisma, right? If you're depending on your coolness factor as a church, you've got about five years then you're done. It'll be because we are with Jesus and we have his power at work within us. I am traveling on a journey in Kimberley where I am now on an everyday mission for Jesus Christ. And before, when I was even at the Bible college here, I was actually scared of the word evangelism because what I experienced as evangelism so much more difficult than it needed to be. I am on mission. And you can be too. You should be. You probably are. You're probably way ahead of where I was. 
but when we get the heart of God for our community, that it's not us the world needs. It's Jesus. When I was first here, I only remember actually one message ever. And that's horrible to say. For all the chapels I sat through, I sat through many chapels, and Dr. Richards uh, spoke, and he was before many changes here at the college, but uh, he, he, he was speaking, and um, he said, if you can do anything else than ministry, do that. Because it is not going to be easy. It is not for the faint of heart. If you can do anything else, do that. And what he was talking about was understanding your calling. Understanding your calling by God. This is a relationship that changes the world. Called people. The disciples were fishermen, tax collectors. They were simple. They were doctors. Doctors back then weren't that fabulous, by the way. (laughs) The movement of God started with people like prostitutes. It started with the down and outs. It started with the people who were rejected and forgotten. It started with a whole bunch of jacked up people who were in love with Jesus. And that's the relationship that changes the world. It's the same relationship that changed the first century, and it's the same relationship that changed your world when you met Jesus for the first time. And it's the same relationship that is going to change the world for a generation moving out. You're here at Summit for some reason. Some of you might not know why, and that's okay. But you're here for some reason and and a season of your life. Maybe you're getting ready for full-time ministry. Maybe you just want a taste of ministry. Maybe you just want some biblical understanding before heading out into a regular job. Maybe this is a a gap year for you, and you're just thinking, I'm going to head into something else that I've got planned. While you're here, make sure that you make time to be with Jesus. That's what the world needs. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they they took note of Peter and John's courage because of their relationship with Jesus. They spoke the truth, not in earthly wisdom. The word of God was in them, living and active. It was moving with power. They couldn't deny it. Peter has been this changed man since Pentecost where he's rattling off scripture. The Pharisees and Sadducees might have known the word of God better than any of the Christians, but they missed the Messiah. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. They didn't have the relationship. And in verse 14, this is great. It says, but since they... The Sanhedrin could see the man who had been healed standing right there in front of them. There was nothing that they could do. There was nothing they could say. We need the power of God to go with us to do the things that we cannot do. It's not our power. It's not our strength. It's relying on him to meet our faith in action. 
So the Sanhedrin ordered them, Peter and John and a man who had been healed, to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. The guy's right there. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They won't even say the name of Jesus at this point. We're going to warn them not to say any longer this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The Sanhedrin's good at threatening. Authority figures on earth and in our culture are good at threatening. But there's no authority other than Jesus. All they can do is keep telling them over and over, stop, stop telling about Jesus. But everybody saw the miracle. It was standing right in front of them. And I wonder if you can remember Jesus' command to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, go and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be my what? Anybody? Witnesses, I heard it. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples, the apostles, are getting to be his witnesses right here. They're experiencing hardship, but they're being a witness, a light for Christ. And the reason that every one of us is here this morning is because they would not shut up about Jesus. They were not quiet about proclaiming Jesus. They were seized and thrown into jail because of him. They were on trial because of Jesus' name. They were in jail and just sitting there. They were there again next chapter. Just wait. But they were not intimidated by the pressure. In verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? And they're talking to the Sanhedrin. To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're like, we can't stop this. It's bursting out from us. Verse 21, after further threats, the Sanhedrin let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that all the chief priests and elders had said to them, they were told them everything that happened. And when the people heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Peter and John didn't go and post about it on social media that something terrible happened to me today. I got so much pressure. I was being persecuted for Jesus. They went back to their church community and they praised God. Not the first thing I would probably do. A good lesson. They praised God in the midst of trials and circumstances that are tough. They get arrested for it and they go, praise God. Awesome. They're brought before the court and they're like, sweet, I was hoping this would happen. The court says, do not speak about Jesus. And they say, look, I won't stop. And when they get released, they got out of there and they went back to this community and they just hit their knees. They praised God. And it says, they said, sovereign Lord, they say you made, uh, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they're praying Psalm chapter 2. And they talked about how Pontius Pilate conspired against Jesus. And they acknowledge what God has done. They're just recounting how they got to this place of the greatness of God that's at work within their community. They're going over again and again, reminding themselves and reminding God of who he is. And verse 29 says, now, Lord, consider their threats. They're saying, God, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great 
boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want to make note what they did not pray for was the easy button. They didn't pray for the destruction of their enemies. They didn't reach over for the easy button of personal safety. They didn't try to get out of the moment or the circumstances. They prayed for God to enable them to speak with boldness. And they prayed for miraculous things to follow. They prayed for God to keep working. And in verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. Amen. God supplies what they need. God gives it. This was another filling, but it was a filling that brought boldness to the church. This is something that I think we need to grab onto today. We need to look and see that in our lives, we cannot be chained to our own personal comfort. We have to let that go. We have to speak the name of Jesus. I think we lack power as a church sometimes. And what we need is to engage the world with the same Jesus that the disciples and the early church knew. Because what makes people whole and fixes the brokenness is Jesus and Jesus alone. If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If you get persecuted for the right reasons, you can rejoice. How can we do this? One word. Abide. Abide in Jesus. Be with Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me, and you're going to have everything you need. Acknowledge Jesus is the Lord, and only in his name is there authority, power, and salvation. That is what the world needs. I'm so glad that the apostles didn't say, well, they told us to stop, so we're going to just stop. They threatened us, so we better go underground for a while. They prayed for boldness. And I'm praying for you for boldness. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have shown us through your word the truth. And I pray that you would not let it go unnoticed to our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we need a, a fresh move of God in our souls. We need to be reconnected to the source of all life. God, I ask that you would do a miracle for someone in this room today and give them boldness instead of fear that you would not allow intimidation and pressure to stop them letting out the light of God that is wanting to burst out of them. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rise up and that we would begin to see powerful works. Lord, like prayers that are just unimaginable that you're going to answer. Lord, that we would reach for you in our prayers, that we would reach for you beyond what we can do on our own. We would look to heaven to pour out mercy and do the miraculous, God. 
We ask for your power today that you could be at work in our own difficult circumstances by giving us boldness and helping us to rejoice when we're feeling the pressure. I pray that you would help each one of us remember that while we're here at Summit, while everyone's here, that they would take time to build that relationship with you and to be people who would be known and marked as being with Jesus. I thank you for the staff and all the leadership here, and I pray that you'd be with them, Lord, as they minister to these uh, students. And I ask that you continue to move through this body in a miraculous way. In Jesus' name. Evan was uh, the inspiration to our pastors and residents. Our, uh, our breakfast with you in Cranbrook uh, broke our hearts, our entire team, as we uh, ate some eggs and pancakes and, uh, and prayed together and heard your heart for your community. Uh, it, this, is, this is exactly what broke our heart. We asked our pastors to come and share their story, and you didn't even share your story. <laughs> you shared the apostles' story. And that is our story. You're absolutely right. And the humility that you show in your pastoral ministry, and who you are as a person, uh, in your, with your family, with Sandra, with your children, with your church, the, the thing that we got out of our time with Evan wasn't that he pastored a church is that he pastored a community. Like he pastored people, whether they were in your building or not. You pastor them and you love them and you show Jesus to them. And it is clear and evident in how you live and how you speak. And so thank you. That means the world to us. And so our, our heart was like, we need to get our students to this. This is what our heart was after we ate breakfast with you. And uh, so thank you for coming to us. Yeah, so we'd love to pray over you. Would you stand? <clears throat> well, Jesus, we are so thankful. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful for your calling. And we're thankful for all that you've done in Evan's life. His story that you have brought him to this place and to this moment where he is married to Sandra and fathering his children, pastoring in Kimberly, and even this moment and sharing to us here at Summit. Lord, your will is so good. You are so, so sovereign and so good. Lord, I think every step of the journey that he has been on in following this call and conviction of his life, you have been there with him. I believe that full well. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to continue to be with him. And so may Evan's mind and his heart and his eyes continually be fixed upon you. Lord, we pray further anointing in his ministry in Kimberly. And may these children that have come into the church through their programs, uh, may it not just be about programs, but may it be about the people and the relationships and ultimately the salvation that we experience through you, Jesus, and you alone. And so I pray boldness 
over this church. I pray boldness in their faith that they would speak of your love, not just in the building as they invite people, but when they are sent out and in their homes and in the community and at their workplaces and in restaurants and in coffee shops and in classrooms and and such. Lord, may your love be shared and expressed and lived out with great boldness with the believers in Kimberly. We're going to pray this passage out of Colossians together over you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, you have not stopped praying for me. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Can we show our appreciation once more for Evan? <laughs>